0: Bible frequently uses the imagery of paths or ways to describe our conduct, our walk with the Lord, our life, our course in this world. The choices that we make, the habits that we form, the life that we live, these are described as our paths and our ways. And it is surprising when you start to do a search for those words, just how frequently that comes up in Scripture. It's not like an occasional analogy. It's all the way through the Old Testament, and the New Testament, you find it particularly in the book of Proverbs and in the book of Psalms. I'm going to give you a couple of examples and show you the ways in which Scripture uses this, this language, this description. Jesus used the idea of a broad road and a narrow road to describe the courses, the gates that lead to heaven and to hell. Remember Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate for... The gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. In the Old Testament, you see the path to life and the path to death described in numerous places. Jeremiah 21, verse 8, You shall say to this people, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. That's pretty stark. I mean, there's only two ways, the way of life and the way of death. So there's not a third way. There's not a fourth way or a fifth way or multiple ways. There's the path that leads to life, and there's the path that leads to death. Proverbs 16.25, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Man in his natural state assesses the options that he has, and he says, this seems right, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to choose my path. And he goes down that thinking that the end is good. But he gets to the end of it and realizes, I've been walking on the path that leads to death. And sometimes, unfortunately, you are brought into that path. You are brought into the gravity of that. And by the time you realize that this ends in death, it's too late. There is the way of fools and the way of the righteous. Proverbs 21, verse 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Proverbs 21 verse 16, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. God's path is called the way of life, Job 23 verses 10 through 12, but he, Job is saying this, but he, the Lord knows the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of His lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. Psalm 1, verse 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And I can see by the grins on some of your faces you were already thinking of that verse before I even read it. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners. There's a path, there is a way, there is a course. Psalm 16, verse 11, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Psalm 17, verse 4, As for the deeds of of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept from the paths of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Psalm 23, verse 3, He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Psalm 25, verse 4, Make me to know Your ways, O Lord. Teach me Your paths. All the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep His covenant and His testimonies. It is so common in Scripture. We sometimes read through large passages of Scripture, we read this language, and we don't even think about what is being described here. Paths, ways, courses, choices. This is the language that Scripture uses to describe our lifestyle, our conduct, and our walk in this world. It is the language that is used in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint. Now this is the second command in a list of five that follows on the passage that deals with God disciplining His children. Those five commands that we just briefly looked at last week in terms of of, of naming them, we got through the first one, which was strengthen the hands that are weak, in verse 12, and the knees that are feeble. Those five Commands in scripture are, in, are things that you and I are to do in light of god 's discipline in preparation for discipline in the midst of discipline and on the other side of discipline. these are the commands that we are given to make sure that god 's discipline is not wasted on us, or you could say that these five commands are addressed to us so that we might avoid five different pitfalls that discipline that, we can, that discipline might bring to us five five things that we can fall into or mistakes or errors that we can make in the midst of discipline. We saw the first one last week. There is the danger that we might faint because of our weakness. And so we are commanded in verse 12 to strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. The second danger is that we might stumble because of the path that we are on, because of the way that we choose, because of the course or conduct of our lives. We might inadvertently but actually quite intentionally put stumbling blocks in our path that make our running the race difficult, if not impossible. And that is what the author is dealing with here in verse 13. Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. I want you to notice the importance here in verse 13 of straight paths. The author is returning to the race analogy in verses 1-3 through 3, that he started this chapter with. And when he talks about strengthening the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble in verse 12, he's talking about those parts of our bodies that are instrumental in running the race and running it well. And he is using another race analogy here in verse 13, make straight paths for your feet. In other words, the course that you are to run should be straight. You need to run a straight race. You never see an Olympic runner wandering all over the track, back and forth, off into the sidelines, behind the visitors, chatting with the coach. You you never see that happen. Why? Because he wants to... Run the race. He's running for a prize. He's diligent and disciplined. He knows how to win. And winning does not involve wandering into other people's lanes and staggering all over the course. And so, this is the same kind of analogy. You are to make straight paths for your feet so that when you are running, you're running with your eyes fixed straight ahead, lest you stumble and trip or interfere with other people. That's the analogy. It's the language of Proverbs chapter 4, verses 25 through 27 let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. You see, the right and the left wandering off in either one of these directions is characterized in the Proverbs as foolishness, evil, iniquity, sin, rebellion. And so if you're going to run your race, you have to run fixing your eyes straight ahead do not deviate. Do not wander. Do not alter your course. Keep a straight path. Proverbs 2 verse 15 describes the evil men and the, the proverb says their paths are crooked and they are devious in their ways. It is the evil man in scripture that wanders around. It's the evil man in scripture that starts off on a good path and then wanders immediately into this and, and likes this and then comes back for the good path for a little bit and then wanders off again. His way is crooked. And if you're standing back looking on it, uh, looking back on it, do you remember the, the old cartoons that they used to have? Was it Marmaduke or one of those single frame cartoons where you would see Dennis the Menace or one of those where you'd see the course that he made around the playground or something? All of a sudden, if you had to follow the dotted line, it would entertain your eye. You could see where he started and where he went. If you were to watch the path of a wicked man, it just wanders all over the place, blown about with every wind of doctrine. always finding and ever finding some new fascination, some new hobby horse, some new thing he's doing, some new agenda that he has, and he goes back and forth like a ship tossed at sea with no straight course, no straight bearing, and you wonder where he's going, where he came from, where he's going to end up. That is not how we run our race. Instead, we run our race with our eyes fixed straight ahead on the prize, knowing for what it is that we are running and running with endurance and with diligence. Proverbs 4, verse 10, Hear, My Son, and accept My sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded, and if you run, you will not stumble. Isn't that desirous? Isn't that something that we should long for? That we would walk, our steps would not be impeded, and we will not stumble when we run? Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they do evil and they are robbed of sleep unless they make someone else stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And so the author of Proverbs is saying embrace wisdom and instruction and the fear of God. Walk in the upright paths. It is clearly laid out for us in Scripture. We know what that looks like. We know what iniquity looks like. God has given us all that. He's shined the light on the path and He just simply says walk in it with diligence. Walk in it with precision and walk straight ahead. Keep your eye on the prize and press on. And inevitably, if you If you wander in your gaze, if you gander away from the course, you will end up going the way that you look. Have you ever watched an Olympic runner? Where do they look? Straight ahead. Not looking back to see how far ahead of the competition they are. Not off to the coach to see if he has any last minute instructions. Not looking up into the stands to see if their family members are there or what their mom thinks of how they're running. You don't see any of that. While they're running their race, they look straight ahead with a focus and a precision and an intensity that burns like the heat of a thousand suns. Why? Because they know that the minute they gander, they wander. That's how it works. The minute you gander, you wander. So do not allow yourself to gander or you will wander. Make straight paths for your feet. Make it a straight one. Now there's three concerns here, I think, in the passage that the author is addressing or three ways of applying this. First, morally speaking, there is a concern here for our own godliness. Guard your own life and conduct. Do not deviate from from the way to the way of the wicked or get off the path of uprightness and righteousness and wisdom. This will only lead to destruction and debauchery and bondage and falling into immorality inevitably. Inevitably. Do not wander off into that path thinking, that you can take fire into your lap and not be burned. You can't. So don't don't chart that course. Don't go that direction. Don't intentionally think to yourself, I'll just wander for a little bit and see how this works. That is how you make shipwreck of your faith and become an apostate. Do not place things in your life that create moral hazards. Do not heed to temptation. Do not deviate from uprightness. No runner will set a course and think that he can do so setting it through a, a hazardous area or throwing obstacles in his path and thinking that somehow going to enable him to run better or run well or win the prize. No runner intentionally sets before him dangers and traps and snares and uneven ground. And the church is filled, particularly in recent history in our own time, the church is filled with examples of people who started well and then wandered off the course. And this is what all of the warning passages in the book of Hebrew address. People who start off well are not really among us, and they wander off the course. We're not talking about losing salvation. We're talking about people who deviate from the way. They go out from among us and prove that they were never of us to begin with. And we've seen multiple examples of this. We've seen coalitions around the gospel, right? Gospel-centered coalitions. Gospel coalitions of people. We've seen people getting together for the gospel, And then within 10 to 12 to 15 years, these organizations of gospel coalitions and togetherness for the gospel end up falling apart. The wheels come off of them. Why? Because the people who run these organizations become more concerned with appealing to the world and conforming to the world system and being squeezed into the world's mold and being applauded and approved by the world that their craven desire for approval becomes itself the very thing that makes them a theological shell of their former selves. And so they, they fall apart, they disassemble, they quit doing what they were normally doing or become their own self-parody. And you read their stuff and you wonder, if I, am, I reading, uh, am I reading something that comes from a coalition of gospel people or am I reading something that comes from the Babylon Bee? How does that happen? It happens when people wander from the paths. You get off mission, you get off focus, you get off path. Romans 13, verse 14 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for your flesh. What does your flesh love? Do not provide anything for it. That's how you take a step off of the path. I'm just going to provide this for my flesh. My flesh desires this. I'm going to give my flesh this thing. You kill your flesh. You attack that thing. You deny it. Like a fire, it needs oxygen. You deny it the oxygen that it craves. Guard your life against the people, the opportunities, the places, the things that threaten to undo you because they tempt you to wander. They sway you off of your course. Guard your heart because out of it flows all the issues of life. Not all friendships are healthy. Not all entertainment is edifying. Not all recreation is promotes godliness. Not all approval is good. Sometimes you can be approved by all the wrong people. And sometimes you can be hated by all the right people. Stay in your lane. That's the second... One, this has to do with a concern for others. The first concern is our own moral formation, our own morality, our own course, our, the way that we walk. And this is a, that is a concern for us. This is a concern for others. When you wander from the path, when you step off and you begin to veer to the right or to the, to the left, you're going to inevitably interfere with other people who are also running their race, right? This is the race analogy. This is the author's way of saying, in our modern vernacular, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. You set your eyes straight ahead. You make straight paths for your feet. You stay between those lines because the minute you begin to wander from your lane, you're going to inevitably bump into somebody else. You're going to cause them to trip or cause them to stumble. And how many times have we seen that in our own churches, in our own day? Men and women who make great moral failure or wander off the path or stray into sin and immorality end up becoming stumbling block for somebody else who is also running the race. How many times have you seen one person's fall from grace one person's plunge into immorality and straying from the path ends up having resounding effects upon their family, their church, their employment, their neighbors, and their testimony for Christ. Stay in your lane. The minute you deviate from that, you're going to run into somebody else. You're going to cause them to trip and stumble, and you may permanently take them out of the race in terms of making progress in their own faith. And you don't want to do that. Third, there is the concern for the others who follow And I love the fact that the word for paths in verse 13 is the word trochea, and it describes the track of a wheel, a path, or a rut. It describes the cut of a wheel that was left behind. So like a a wagon that would go through a field and lay down all of the grass behind it, you could chart the course of that wagon and where it went by just looking at the grass that was laid down by it. Or... uh, a wagon that would cut through a field and leave ruts or paths or a well-worn path where it had gone. That's the word that is used here. And it is a reminder that others are following this, and if you and I are to run our race well, we need to make our paths straight, So not just so that we ourselves will be able to run the race, and not just so that we don't interfere with other people who are also running with us. But friends, we need to do this for the others who will follow behind us and look at the path that we have run and we want them to be able to say, that's a straight path. That's what I want to follow. Isn't that apart from the moral failings of the heroes of Hebrews chapter 11? And they did have those. Everybody has those. But isn't that the very thing that we saw all the way through Hebrews chapter 11? We looked at some of these men. We said, this is what you admire. This is the, the kind of path you stay on. So it makes them heroes. You are to set a course that is worth following. So that once you have run it, you will leave a rut that other people can follow. That's the goal. You leave a rut that other people can follow. A clearly defined straight path. So, men, are you living the kind of life that you would want your son to emulate? Would you want your daughter to marry a man who treats her the way that you treat her mother? Do you want your children to follow your priorities, adopt your habits, duplicate your patterns, Do you want them to have the same level of self control and discipline as you do when you're alone? Do you want that for your children? Run a straight course so that you leave ruts for others to follow. Women, would you be happy if your son's wife treated him the way you treat his father? Would you be pleased if your daughter or your granddaughter modeled their lives after yours? If those who come after you duplicated your walk with the Lord, had the same priorities, the same habits, and the same patterns. Choose straight paths for your feet. Live the life that you want others to see you live, and live it in private and live it in public. Be the same person at home as you are at work, as you are at the grocery store, as you are here on a Sunday morning. That is the very definition of integrity. Without hypocrisy, it is sincerity. You do this, we do this together so that we may run well and receive the prize, not thwarting our own efforts, not causing other people to stumble, and so that we may leave a path that others will follow. Notice the second phrase here, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That is something of a difficult uh, phrasing to translate. It's something of a difficult phrasing to understand simply because we don't know what the author means by lame limb, because he doesn't describe it here. We don't know what he means by healed. We can kind of start to put together the pieces and, and look at the context. And there are a couple of options that come to the forefront. There are two hindrances to running. I think I'm going I'm to try and explain this and let me get a shot at it. There are two hindrances to running. First, there are hindrances that are outside of you, that some of which you have control over, some of which you don't. Right? You there are natural obstacles that, that pop up that you have no control over. I was running well and then cancer hindered me. Cancer became an object in my life or a sickness or a debilitation or the death of a loved one. Something happened that, that threatened my course. I was tempted to deviate off of it. There are things that are outside of you that cause hindrances in your running. And then there are things that are part of us that cause hindrances in our running. Like what? Lameness. Crippledness, weakness, those are the things that can also make running difficult. So, one possibility is that what is being described here is the fact that you and I are broken people, and in terms of running a Christian race and being diligent and faithful in it, every person in this room is lame in some way. We're all broken people. We all have besetting sins, we all have weaknesses that make running the race difficult. We all have our battles that we have to fight, our flesh that we have to resist, temptation that we have to turn away from, repentance that we need to do. We all have these things. So we're all weak. There's, all, there's with all of us a certain lameness. So we are to make our paths straight and run in the upright races so that our lameness and our weakness will not end in our ruin, namely the limb being put out of joint. So if, if you're... Set to run your race, and you know that I have a lameness in this. this is, there's a difficulty here. Right? It's, it's a lust, it's a tendency, it's a propensity, it's a weakness. Okay, here's the secret. Don't put stuff in your path that will make you triple lame, per, trip lame person. That's the idea. Make your path straight. It's much easier to run a straight race as somebody with a lame limb than it is to run a crooked race with a lame limb. Why make your race intentionally more difficult than it already is? Running is already that difficult. So why add to the difficulty by putting things in the path that will distract us and trip us up and make it even more difficult to run? The result then is that we would trip and put our, put our lame limb out of joint and then that's even worse. At least with something that's lame in this sense, you can kind of hobble along with it and you're not going to run really quickly or well, but at least you can make some progress. But if you're put out of the race and you fall to the ground and your limb is entirely put out of joint, then you're out of the race entirely. That's the idea. A second possibility, if if that's what the author is describing here, then the healing, let me back up just a second, the healing would be that the straight path overcomes the lameness of the limb or compensates for the lameness of the limb. In other words, make your path straight so that the lameness does not take you out of the race. The second possibility here is that the author has in mind others who are harmed by our race when we deviate from the path. That would be that the the other person running with us is the lame limb, the person who is struggling or coming along, the other runner. And if you and I deviate from our course, then we stagger into their lane, metaphorically speaking, and we trip them up and they fall down and hit the pavement and then they're put out of the race, either temporarily or permanently, because of something that we have done that has interfered with them, caused a a bad example, and cause them to stumble or to fall into sin. So it's possible that verse 13 is describing weak ones, that verse 12 alludes to weak members or weak people who are in the race, but they are lame and they are limping, and then we stagger into their path and cause them to fall down. We make our paths straight so that our race is an encouragement and not a discouragement or a despondency to those who are apt to discouragement and despondency. If you falter, you might become a stumbling block to others. And we all know people whose race was ruined because someone that they loved and respected and admired fell into a grave moral sin. Their progress in the things of God was stopped or severely limited and hampered or hindered because somebody else left their path and refused to run a straight course. And so they were put out of the way. And we're not talking about here a loss of salvation. We've covered that in the book of Hebrews. We're not talking about a loss of salvation. Instead, we're talking about being hindered in your race. Talking about being falling down on the on the on the course, as it were, turning people who are and, and this can also apply to turning people who are on the fence regarding Christianity and they're kind of wavering back and forth, not sure if they should make a commitment or not. They're considering the claims of Christ, and then they see some hypocrite and they say, Not for me. You've run into these people in witnessing encounters, no doubt. People who have said, yeah, I went to that church and I did this thing a couple months in. I found out this was going on. This guy was doing this. or that guy harmed me? That's a, if that's the type of people that Christianity welcomes, I want no part in the church. You see, then you begin putting other people out potentially of the race, uh, of the race and become an excuse for them to reject the truth. The phrase out of joint, put out of joint in verse 13, describing the lame limb. It's an interesting word. This is the only place in the New Testament, it's used five times. It's the only place in the New Testament where, it's described, where it is, is translated, put out of joint. Every other place that it is used, it is translated to turn away or to avoid or to turn out of a course. Like 1 Timothy one six, for some men straying from these things have turned aside, that's the word, turned aside to fruitless discussion. First Timothy 5.15, some have already turned aside to follow Satan. Second Timothy four four. Some will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And First Timothy six twenty. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding that is turning aside from worldly and empty chatter and oppose and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. So there, in all the other references to all the other uses of this word in the New Testament, all describe turning aside, jumping off course, making a turn, avoiding something so that could shine a little bit of light on what the author is describing here. It might be what the author is describing is our own besetting sin with the limb that is lame, and we then are encouraged to make straight paths so that our running is easier. Or it might be that the author is describing others, other believers who are weak, and that our running... a a, a deviating course and not running a straight path would cause them to stumble and to fall, and we would set them off course, and they would be turned aside off of the race. How horrible would that be? Here's the point of the analogy. Our race is difficult enough. Isn't it? It's difficult enough. And it gets even more difficult with every passing week of insanity that we are surrounded by in this insane asylum known as planet Earth. And it's just going to continue to get more difficult. To be faithful, to be disciplined, to walk holy lives in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. That is going to become increasingly difficult. So friends, if you're serious about finishing your race and running it well, make straight paths for your feet. Now is the time to get strong. Now is the time to make your path straight. Now is the time to, to encourage and establish the disciplines and the habits of godliness and to pursue sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. If you will profit from God's discipline, then clear your path, cast off the encumbrances and the sins that so easily entangle us, make your path straight, clear off the temptations that threaten to rob you of your blessings, don't chart a course through iniquity, don't go into paths that are laden with moral hazards and temptations, And by doing so, you will leave a straight path for others. Be diligent and disciplined in your conduct. Walk in uprightness, integrity, mortify sin, fight the good fight. Make your path straight for your sake and the sake of others. And when you and I do this, we'll do three things. We will make our race easier so that we can finish well and receive the prize. We will avoid causing other people who are running with us to stumble and thus lose their prize. And we will leave ruts of a straight path for other people to follow, for the generations that are to come. That is what we are called to do. Now we are all sin uh, sinners, and we are all weak, and we are all lame in some way. And all of us have to confess each and every Sunday before we even come to church, and while we are here, that we are weak. For we know that the only reason we are even able to stand before God And pray to Him, to worship Him, and to hear His Word is because of what Christ has done for us to give us access to God and to keep us in His grace. So we stand before God at any moment, not dependent upon how well we have lived the previous week, and not depending on how well we have lived the previous few hours. We stand before God at any moment based upon the work of one person who lived a perfect life in our stead and then died a death that you and I were required to die, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. So our standing before God always, every moment of every day, is because of what He has done and not because of anything that we have done. And we need to remind ourselves of that constantly. That is the hope and the message of the Gospel. That you and I can do nothing to gain ourselves access to God. We can do nothing to maintain our access or our standing before God, and we can certainly do nothing to enable ourselves by our own merits to stand in His presence, righteous and blameless, on that final day. We can do none of those things. That is all dependent upon the work that has been done for us by the person of Christ. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.